0: Father, we are grateful that you have preserved your word for us. Uh, we're grateful that we have the opportunity to, uh, to hear from you. Uh, we ask and pray that you would speak to us uh, through your word. We ask that as we uh, turn to scripture, to Christ's words uh, in this particular text, uh, that Jesus, you would make your presence known to us. That we would uh, know and, and see and feel and understand that these are not just words on a page, but uh, these are the very words of God that are God-breathed, that are inspired, and that are profitable uh, for teaching, profitable for our encouragement, profitable for correcting us, and and profitable to help make us equipped to live uh, the way you have called us to live, Lord God. And so speak to us through your word. Uh, God, as we talk about prayer, Lord, we pray that you would uh, push back just the kind of uh, cloud of guilt that comes when we speak about prayer. Uh, Instead, change our minds and our disposition towards prayer this morning that we would... uh, see it in a new light that we would see it as as a joy we would see it as partnering with you we would we would see it in a deep and new and fresh way and and through that new understanding uh that that you would uh produce out of it a a new way of praying a new way of living um, that is faithful and, and, and honoring to you uh, so come and guide us and do that. We, we're not able to come to your word and, and, and see anything uh, worthwhile in and of ourselves. We need your spirit to come and do that. But, Father, we trust that you will do that. And we trust the promise that you have given in your word, that your word never comes back void. And so produce fruit in us, produce change in us, produce new life in us, produce worship in us as we encounter you through your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So I want to ask you a question as we start. Um, as we start just looking at the text this morning, if you could ask Jesus Christ, the wisest man to ever live, the greatest preacher to ever live, the most compassionate man to ever live, the most merciful man to ever live, uh, contrary to the Dos Equis commercial, the most interesting man to ever live, if you could ask Jesus Christ a question, if you could ask him to teach you anything, what would you ask him to teach you? What would you ask Jesus to teach you? What's interesting is that when we look at the narrative of the Gospels, we we find out the one thing, at least that's recorded, the, the one thing that his disciples, after spending much time with Jesus, the one thing that they asked Jesus to teach them to do was to pray. In Luke 11, the one thing that we see recorded, the disciples asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. Which means they, they clearly saw Jesus' prayer life and, and saw that there was something profound about it. They saw uh, the rest of Jesus' life and saw that there was many things profound about that. But, but of all the things they saw Jesus do, they understood, presumably, that underneath every amazing thing that Jesus did, every uh, notable thing that he did, his deep and, and vibrant walk with God, he, he realized, they realized that underneath all of that, the, the key, the foundation, the, the, the ground floor, was prayer that there was something unique, vibrant, and special about Jesus' connection with God the Father, that the one thing that we have recorded, the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to do, is pray. Lord, teach us how to pray. And this is what Jesus responds uh, to that request with, the Lord's Prayer. In Matthew 6, the, the, the section that we're going to look at, the Lord's Prayer comes as part of the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. In, in Luke 11, we, we, see, uh, we see him explaining it in the context of asking the question, Lord, teach us to pray. Um, and so we're kind of seeing the same scene from different angles. But we're going to look at Matthew 6, and Jesus is, is teaching the disciples, teaching the crowd, this is, this is how you pray, this is what it looks like to pray. Let me show you, as one who has a deep, vibrant relationship with God the Father, as God the Son, let me teach you what it is to pray. And so let's sit at the feet of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and hear his words fresh as he teaches us what it means to pray. This is what he says in Matthew 6. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, as, as nonbelievers do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. This is the Lord's prayer. It's hard to uh, have not heard this, or to know this, uh, or to be familiar with phrases from this, right? This is this is the Lord's prayer. It is seen everywhere, used um, in countless liturgies and prayers and uh, in services, right? It's hard not to be at least familiar with, with some of this. But as we're going to look at verse ten specifically, "Your kingdom come, your will be done." We're going to see that there is some profound revolutionary meaning here for us. The reason we're looking at uh, prayer is over the next four weeks, we're doing this series. You, you saw the graphic. You see the booklet, Kingdom Prayers. We're going to look at what does it look like to uh, not just pray prayers of, of, of uh, circumstance, right? The prayers where we say, God, I'm going through this hard thing in my life. Could you please change it? That's a good and right prayer. But what does it look like to not just pray prayers of circumstance? What does it look like to not just... Pray, prayers of petition God I really need this I, I need help here would you would you provide for me that's a good and right prayer notice in the Lord's prayer it says give us our daily what? bread, right? That's a prayer of petition, a prayer of need, right? But we want to lift our eyes a little bit as we start 2018 to not just think about what does it look like to pray pray prayers of need and petition and and to not just pray prayers of circumstance. God change this trial, change the situation. Those are good and right things. Jesus is honored by them. He invites us to do that. But we also want to lift our eyes a little bit higher and say what does it look like to pray really big, bold prayers that reflect verse 10, God let your kingdom come. What does it look like to pray comprehensively and to give attention to big, bold prayers for the kingdom of God to break into our world, to break into our lives, to break into our city, to break into our church, to break in across the globe? What would it look like for us to do that? And so that's what we're going to do through this series of Kingdom Prayers. We're going to uh, touch on different key topics going on in our world, things that are on the heart of Jesus, our King, and think about how can we pray towards these We're doing this series in collaboration with City on a Hill and Renewal Church as a way of saying, as the church in Boston, how can we honor our Lord and Savior and heed his words that say, pray for the kingdom to come. So we're going to talk about what does it look like to pray, God, your kingdom come. Notice that in the Lord's Prayer, uh, we have uh, a couple of different things happening. And we're going to do this briefly because we're going to spend all our time thinking about verse 10. But notice this, that it starts with uh, Father... uh, Father, uh, hallowed be your name. The foundation is God's glory, God's um, God's fame, God's reputation, being seen, being honored, being savored. That's the foundation. And then 10 is the, the prayer, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then 11, we look at God's uh, provision. Uh, provide for us uh, what we need day by day. Uh, 12, God's grace. For, forgive us and help us to be people who forgive in light of your grace. And then 13, God's protection. Right. So this prayer is comprehensive. Jesus is showing these are the types of things that, that Mark the prayer life of my disciples We pray for God's protection because the world is a hard Chaotic and broken place We pray for God's grace because we are Broken and sinful people Uh, We pray that we will be able to forgive others Because guess what, we're dealing with other broken and sinful people And we pray for our bread Each and every day because we have great need And we understand that all provision Comes from God alone who cares for us And we pray for God's kingdom To come because we realize That this chaotic world that we're in Does not reflect the kingdom of God But above, beneath, and beside all of that is the engine for our prayers that God would be honored and glorified, that his name would be hallowed. This is what's happening here in the Lord's Prayer. But let's look at, really, verse 10, this idea that Jesus is teaching his disciples. Imagine the scene. You get this crowd of people around him thinking, oh, we're going to learn how to pray from Jesus, this this incredible teacher, the one who can heal, the one who's doing all of these things. We've never heard anyone like him teach. And Jesus gives this prayer. And we're going to hone in on verse 10. Pray like this. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is teaching that the prayer life of his disciples is marked by prayer of need, prayer of petition, but also marked by a big, bold prayer that says, God, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. What what does this mean? What, What does it mean to pray for the kingdom of God to come? What, is that? what does that mean? Well, first, in order to really think about that, we have to understand what, what in the world is the kingdom of God? This is, this is hard for us to grasp because it's one of those terms that you hear in church a lot, but no one ever really tells you what it means, right? It's like one of those, like, yeah, the kingdom of God. And then someone asks you, could you please explain that to me? And you're like... The kingdom of God is wonderful, right? you just like, it's just one of those terms that we know it, but we don't know. We we know we can't explain it. like what exactly is the kingdom of God? What does that really, what does that mean? What is, what is the kingdom? You know, before we even touch into that definition, what does Jesus say? Anyone know what Jesus says in, in Mark's gospel when he first steps on the scene? He says something is at hand. He says that something is near, something is about to pop off. What does he say? The kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is at hand. This is pretty remarkable. When Jesus steps on the scene, he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. At hand, it means it's so close you could could smell it. It's so close you could taste it. It's so close you could reach out and touch it. The opportunity is here. God's kingdom has come in and through Jesus Christ in a unique way. The king has hit the scene. And so in the beginning of Mark's gospel, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And then we see Jesus do things throughout the gospel of Mark that show us what the kingdom of God is like. The actions of the king help us see and understand, oh, what is the kingdom of God? And there's really three things that that happens when the kingdom of God breaks in. And these three things help us understand what the kingdom of God is. Three things happen when Jesus steps on the scene and begins to bring his kingdom. The first thing is that we see as we look through the Gospels, we see people receive the king by faith. We see people come to an understanding, oh Jesus, you're the king of the universe, you are the savior, you are the messiah, you are the redeemer. Okay, I I see and I understand and now in my heart, through faith, I'm going to bow to you with allegiance and worship. The first thing we see when the kingdom of God comes is that people receive the king by faith. The second thing that we see uh, when Jesus comes and brings the kingdom of God in the scenes of the Gospels is we see that the effects of sin are reversed. The effects of sin are reversed by Jesus the king. You ever think, why does Jesus spend so much time healing people who are just going to die anyway? You you ever think about that? Right, Jesus heals somebody, he can't walk, and it's like, well, what's going to happen to them 12 years later? They're going to die. Now, Jesus has got a solution for that too, right? But he is showing us, hey, I'm going to reverse the effects of sin. Uh, Diseases are not a part of God's good creation. Let me reverse those. Let me show you who I am. Let me show you what the kingdom of God looks like because people are not supposed to be walking lame in the kingdom of God. And so one of the things that Jesus does in the Gospels when he establishes his kingdom, first and foremost, people bow to the King. They receive him by faith. But secondly, Jesus begins to reverse the effects of sin by healing, by mending, by righting wrongs, by bringing God's justice and grace. And the third thing we see when Jesus establishes his kingdom is that brokenness is restored in Jesus' name. Brokenness is restored in Jesus' name. That's a description of of what happens when the kingdom of God comes. And really, we could think about the kingdom of God like this if you want a definition. The kingdom of God is where King Jesus' rule is embraced, believed, and followed. The kingdom of God is anywhere where someone in their heart bows their heart in faith to the king and lives in step with the king's ways. That's where the kingdom of God is. Another way to think about this is the kingdom of God is any place where you see God's people living under God's rule with God's presence. It's where you see the kingdom of God. And this is why the prayer says, on earth as it is in what? In heaven. Because think about this. If the kingdom of God is where hearts and lives are bowed to the king, where is the one place where that is happening completely? Where is the one place where that's happening fully? Where is the one place where that is happening with joy, delight? Heaven. And so Jesus is saying, this is how you pray if you're my disciples, because you love me and you know my reign and rule is good and you see the the, the decay, the effects of sin on this earth and and the isolation and the hatred and and the harm and, and the injustice. You pray for God's perfect rule in heaven to break in to this broken world of earth where all things are submitted to the good and gracious rule of the king. Now, can you even wrap your mind around this prayer? That the good, perfect reign and rule of God in heaven, breaking into earth. But can, you, can you even wrap your mind around that? Can you, can you wrap your mind around the, the perfect love and harmony that exists in God's greatest dwelling place, heaven. Can you imagine perfect love and harmony breaking into Earth? Like it, it, it just like it just doesn't it just doesn't seem possible. Can we can we be honest? It just does not seem likely. Can you can you imagine the world of love that is heaven breaking into Somerville, the place where if you take someone's uh, shoveled out parking spot, they will stab you, right? Can you can you imagine God's perfect love breaking into that place? Right? Can you imagine God's perfect love breaking into to a, to a place where we, we, we do not love our neighbors? We don't even want to love our neighbors. We just want our neighbors to leave us alone. Right? Can you imagine God's perfect love breaking into a place like that? Can you imagine God's perfect love breaking in to a world where neighboring countries do not love one another but hate one another and have for centuries upon centuries? Right? Can, can we imagine heaven's perfect love breaking into earth? It almost seems like Jesus is giving us a prayer to pray that is impossible to actually see answered. I mean, let's be honest, that's what it kind of feels like, right? And yet, when we look at the storyline of the Bible, we realize that there was actually a time where this prayer was true. Where God's perfect reign and rule was actually on earth. Where it actually was done on earth as it is in heaven. There was a time. There was a place. There was a moment, many moments, when that happened. It's what we had in the Garden of Eden, in the first chapters of the biblical story in Genesis. We see God with humanity, God ruling over them graciously, humanity flourishing and enjoying a perfect and good, gracious rule of God, and all things being lovely, right, good, and true. And then we have a turn. We have a turn in the story, in Genesis 3, where humanity says, we no longer want to live under your rule, God, which is the essence of sin. And now the kingdom of God is overthrown by the brokenness, by the kingdom of human rebellion. And what happens, if we know, uh, if we know the biblical story, is that humanity gets the what out of the garden. The punch? No, the boot. The foot. They get kicked out of the garden, right? They get kicked out of God's perfect kingdom, good and gracious rule. They get the boot, and now they're on their own. And as you read the book of Genesis, all you see is that there's more hatred, more sin, more death, more murder, more deception, more brokenness, more sexual assault. You just see all of this chaos that comes, and it's coming from the backdrop of this is all the result. Of rejecting the good rule of the king and trying to establish our own kingdom. But in the midst of that brokenness, God plants promises and seeds that one day the kingdom will come back. And so when Jesus prays, or Jesus teaches us to pray, God, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, he's trying to take us way back to the beginning. And to remind us that, hey, you're not just praying some fairy tale. You're praying that what was established at the beginning would come into the right now. We're praying that all the effects of sin would be undone and God's perfect, gracious rule would be established right now. We're praying that all the kingdoms of humanity, where we have exalted ourselves at the expense of God and others, would would be knocked down and God's perfect reign and rule would come into the right now. We're praying that the kingdom of Clyde would be overthrown and the kingdom of Christ would come. We're praying that the kingdom of North Korea would be overthrown and the kingdom of Christ would come. We're praying that the kingdom of humanism would be overthrown and the kingdom of Christ would come. We're praying that the kingdom of conservatism would be overthrown and that Christ kingdom would come. We're praying that the kingdom of progressivism would be overthrown and that the kingdom of Christ would come. We're praying that the kingdom of selfish, sinful men and women would be overthrown and that we would be invited into living under the good, gracious, true, merciful reign and rule of Jesus Christ, the King who loved us so much that he gave his life in our place. That's what we're praying with this prayer. This is a prayer request that should come with a warning label. This is a bold, revolutionary, daring prayer. This is a dangerous prayer whose razor edges have been dulled by our familiarity with it. But this is a dangerous prayer. Because we are asking God to do a revolutionary work in our lives and hearts if we are truly asking Him to bring His kingdom. If we are asking him to bring his kingdom, we are uttering important words that are putting us in a good but vulnerable place. Notice part of the the words of this prayer is, your kingdom come, your what be done? Your will be done. To pray your will be done, God, by faith, is to admit and acknowledge and release our will. To truly pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done, is to put your will under the authority of God's will. To give up your will insofar as it's out of step with the king's desires and will, it's, you're laying it down and saying, Jesus, your will supersedes my will. Your blueprint for the kingdom, your blueprint for the good life, your blueprint for my life oversees uh, the blueprint that I have created. Insofar as mine is out of alignment with your heart, will, desire, and word. This is a dangerous prayer. To pray this prayer is to say, Jesus, there is one throne, and I'm not the one sitting on it. So I'm going to stop pretending. And I'm going to give everything that I have and place it under your reign and rule. Now, I, I, wonder, I wonder if we don't pray this prayer because deep down we sort of know that this is a dangerous prayer to pray. I wonder if we, we don't pray this prayer because we don't want to. There's a part of us that doesn't want to bow our desires, doesn't want to bow our money, doesn't want to bow uh, our life plans, doesn't want to bow our career, doesn't want to bow our way of living to the desires of the king. Right? Because to ask for God's kingdom to come is to ask for your kingdom to fall. That's, that's what we're doing here. This is why when it comes to this prayer, Jesus is such a good teacher. This is why when it comes to this prayer, Jesus is actually teaching us to repent of our sins and to trust him because there's no way you can pray this prayer from the heart unless you have trusted in the goodness and character of the king. Right? How, how many of you like to submit anything about you to somebody else? We, we don't like that. We don't even like to get feedback from people on something, right? We want to submit, submit ourselves to get feedback from the people that love us. How in the world are we going to submit our lives to the gracious rule of another person? Right? And so there is no way we can pray this prayer unless we have encountered the king and seen the king in such a way that we understand that his character is so unique, so special, so beautiful, so compelling that we say, hey, you are the one person that can call all the shots about my life and bring your kingdom into my life through me submitting to your rule. There has to be something about him that is compelling us to do that. And this is really what we, ha- we have to see is that Jesus is a king who is much more gracious than we are, who is much wiser than we are, who is more loving than we are, who is more powerful than we are, and who is just flat out wiser than we are. When we begin to see the king in this type of light, we begin to release the the tight hold on our lives to get to the point where we can say, Jesus, your kingdom come in my life. I trust you with my life more than I trust myself only when we see the character of the king. So that's part of the boldness of this prayer. Your kingdom come, my kingdom fall, insofar as it's out of step with your desires, King Jesus. But part of this is uh, wondering the question, how, how does the kingdom come? God wants to bring his reign and rule into this world to reverse the effects of sin. He is bringing it now. It's happening. It happens slowly. The way scripture describes it is like a seed growing. Right? Mark 4 has this description of the kingdom. It's like uh, Jesus describes the kingdom as a farmer sowing seed, going to sleep, and not knowing how it grows, which is very encouraging. It's kind of like you do a lot of stuff, and then it grows, and you're just like, I have no idea how that happened, but it just happened. That's what Jesus is like. That's the kingdom of God right there. Right, so, so how does the kingdom grow? Because uh, Jesus is, is telling us, uh, pray for the kingdom. He doesn't really tell us how the kingdom happens. It's kind of like the, the friend who has a great plan, but then when you ask them, what's your strategy for the plan, you're just like, that's not going to work. Right? The plan, their resolution, 2018, I'm going to get healthy. How are you going to get healthy? By watching documentaries about health and eating chips while I watch, right? It's just like, great plan, or great, great, yeah, great great idea, right? Great plan, but the strategy is just not there. And when we look at Jesus' plan for the kingdom, he, he tells us, pray this way, right? And what's the strategy? Well, the strategy is prayer. The, the, the strategy is what we're saying. The strategy is asking for the kingdom to come, and then the promise is that the kingdom will come, which we, which we have to admit, this, this does not make sense to us. Right? Think of the way that we operate, Right? We don't think prayer is that effective, otherwise we would do more of it. Right? This idea of, God, bring your rule, reverse the effects of sin. How are we going to reverse the effects of sin? By praying. Who's excited for that? Right? How many of you have been to prayer meetings at churches? right? Few people, right? <laughs> right? One, one person has said, if you want to know how popular the pastor is, come to the Sunday worship. If you want to know how popular Jesus is, go to the prayer meeting. That is exaggerated to make an effect. It makes the effect. And I will tell you this. Jesus is not that popular. Right? So, so this idea, pray for the kingdom to come. This strategy does not seem, we have to be honest, this doesn't seem most efficient. This doesn't seem most effective. This doesn't seem most impactful. But Jesus is wise, so we have to trust that he knows what he's doing. And what happens when we pray for the kingdom, of, kingdom to come is the kingdom does come, but it begins to come in us first before it comes through us, second. So what happens is when we pray for the kingdom to come, God begins bringing his kingdom in us so that he can bring his kingdom through us. That's why he asks us to pray for it. He asks us to pray for it once so that we would not be mistaken with the idea that the kingdom has come through our power. We realize it's only come through God. But secondly, he asks us to pray for the kingdom to come before we get to work in kingdom things in order that we would be changed to represent the kingdom in our desires, hearts, and the way that we live so that the kingdom would then flow out through us. Part of this reflects God's kingdom pattern, is that things in the kingdom of God are always bottom up, not top down. Think about this. We see the kingdom pattern of kind of reversal or the unexpected when Jesus enters the world. He enters the world not with a crown or a coronation, but he enters the world through a manger. We see the pattern of the kingdom. Bottom up, not top down. Right? We see this with the reality that Jesus says the kingdom comes through prayer, not through political office. Right? We, we, we pray the kingdom down. We don't vote the kingdom in. They wanted Jesus to bring the kingdom through voting, through running, through ruling, through force, through coercion. They were ready. These guys, Peter, James, John, right? We can use our imagination, but these guys are street guys. Right, Peter, what happens when Jesus gets arrested? What does Peter do? He cuts off an ear. I love what one of my friends said. Anybody who cuts off an ear... On somebody, that's such a bold move. You know they've done it before, right? This is just how Peter dealt with problems, <laughs> right? You're annoying. Let's just cut his ear off, right? You don't do you. That's something you do all the time if that's the way you're going to solve a problem, right? Right. So let's use our imagination. These are, these are guys who are ready. They are ready. They have abandoned their families to follow Jesus. If Jesus says pick up the sword, they would pick up the sword. They'll be ready. Their people have been oppressed. They're ready to attack. They're ready to fight. Jesus says that's not how we operate. We operate by praying. That's how we bring the kingdom of God. This is the pattern of the kingdom. And when we pray for the kingdom of God to come, right? again, think about it, for people to bow their hearts to the king, for the effects of sin to be reversed in Jesus' name, for brokenness to be restored in Jesus' name, when we pray for the kingdom to come, God brings the kingdom more and more in and through us. Think about it like this. Prayer is like our lifeline to the king. When we pray, we go into the presence of Jesus because his sacrifice on the cross has opened our access to God. When we pray, it's our lifeline to the king. We go before him. We step into his presence. We're, we're talking with our Lord. We're talking with our ruler. We're talking uh, with, our, with our authority. And as we talk with him, as we spend time with him, he begins to shape our minds. He begins to shape our desires. He begins to shape our hearts it's so that when we leave prayer, we're more in tune with him. It's like a coaching session. It's like a pep talk with prayer and scripture combined where we become shaped by the king so that we would live in the king's ways. And as we live in the king's ways by faith from our heart and with our hands, we begin to reflect the kingdom of God on earth. So the kingdom comes through prayer. Prayer empowers us to live under the king's rule. Prayer aligns our heart with God's heart so that we can be a part of God's action as we pray the kingdom comes more and more in us and through us i mean think about it like this what do you think would happen if you spent an hour a week praying for the king's desires in our city using scripture praying for the king's desires in our city what does what does jesus really think about injustice what is Jesus' heart for people who reject Him? For people who have not heard the gospel? What would happen if you prayed an hour a week for the King's desires for your city, for your neighbors? Or what, what do you think is going to happen in a couple weeks? You will begin doing things, won't you? God will begin stirring in you that you are part of the action that is the answer to the prayer that you have been praying, will He not? I think we know this. This is part of why there are certain things we don't want to pray for. We're like, homelessness, we'll give money, we don't want to pray. Because if we pray, I don't know, we might be inviting some people to live in our house. Right? We just don't know what God will do through prayer, right? And so, so it becomes a little bit frightening, let's be honest. But as we pray, God is going to bring the kingdom in us through us. How much of God's kingdom is not manifested in our lives Not because Jesus is unwilling, but simply because we just don't ask him.
1: And if you're like, man, I am
0: asking, praise God, keep doing it. The king hears, the king cares. So how do we pray for the kingdom to come? I think one of the ways that we can do this is we simply uh, can ask him like this. A simple way to ask for the kingdom to come. Jesus, break in and establish your rule in blank. Jesus, break in and establish your rule in blank, in my life, in my neighborhood, in my marriage, in my relationship with my sibling that is just destroyed. Establish your kingdom, your kingdom of mercy, grace, forgiveness. Heal the, Jesus, establish your rule and reverse the effects of sin in this part of my life. We just ask Jesus, break in, establish your rule. That's how we pray for the kingdom to come. Think of the kingdom in this way, right? It's people receiving the king so we can pray for people to receive the king, for people to understand who Jesus is, to trust him, to follow him. We can see, wherever we see sin's effects in the world, we can pray, Jesus, reverse that. Bring healing there. Wherever we see brokenness, we pray, Jesus, in your name, restore it. Redeem it, mend it, heal. And as we pray, we're asking for Jesus' perfect reign and rule to break into the present. And as we pray for the kingdom, we also want to recognize this reality, that any, any place or any, any, any person, rather, that you see bowing their heart in faith to Jesus Christ and seeking to live out his way and his word, that is a picture of the kingdom of God so every single person that follows Jesus, every single community of Jesus' followers, every single church that is seeking to follow him, that is a picture of the kingdom of God. And so you are an answer to the disciples' prayer in Matthew 6. You are a picture of the kingdom of God. What God is doing in this broken world is he is establishing little outposts of the kingdom. That he intends to spread the way of Jesus, to spread the truth of Jesus, to spread the love of Jesus, to spread the grace of Jesus, so that as we follow Jesus in this broken world, the kingdom of Jesus expands in the midst of the kingdom of this broken world. Does that make sense? That's what's happening. Imagine it like this, if we were to use a bunch of hyperbole. Imagine an old medieval story where you have a, a, a city that is just strife with hatred. The neighbors don't, don't greet each other, they punch each other. The neighbors don't share with each other, they steal from each other. Um, that's, just, that's just what they do. But within that city, there's a little pocket of 12 people that find out there's another king that has another way of living and another way of ruling that is marked by love for this king, love for your neighbor, love for truth, love for justice, love for mercy, love for godliness. And those 12 people begin to live in a different way inside of this city that is marked by uh, thievery, punching, stealing, and hatred. What would people see from the outside? They would say, this whole city is messed up. But there's this little pocket of people who seem to live in a different way, and the different way that they live brings a blessing to everyone around them, even though everyone around them is trying to steal from them all the time. It would be a kingdom within a kingdom, would it not? And that's what Jesus is calling his disciples to be. Be a kingdom within the kingdom of the world that reflects me and that reverses the effects of sin, that calls people to bow their knees to the king, that prays for others, that loves others, and that loves this broken world and in so doing reflects the heart of the king, Jesus Christ. That's what he calls us to do. And he said that he's going to do this through prayer, which is remarkable. So I want us to do a couple of things. First, I want you to think about this in application. One, have you embraced the king? Have you embraced the king that Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, has made the way for us to be brought into God's kingdom, to be restored to God the Father? to be forgiven of our, of our treasonous ways of establishing our own kingdom through, through our sin? Have you embraced the king who loves you and has given himself for you? What king of a kingdom dies for his enemies? Jesus Christ. Have you embraced the king? Second thing I want you to do is this. What is the area of your life that you are desperate in 2018 to see Jesus reign and rule to break in and bring healing, to bring change? What is that thing in 2018 that you're, that you're saying, God, by your help, I am not going to stop asking for you to break in and let your kingdom be established in this part of my life? What is that? What I want you to do with that is actually, I want you to, uh, maybe you, if you have a notebook, write down a piece of paper, or use the Connect card next to you. Write it down. Write it down, and what I want you to do is I want you to write it down if you're comfortable. You can put your name on it. You don't need to. But I want you to write it down, and I, and I want you to put it in the connect card bucket um, in the foyer. And what we're going to do next week is we're going to start a, a prayer wall of kingdom prayers, and we're going to have things uh, just up, and we're going to just really encourage people to be praying for these areas in our lives. Right? So you don't need to put your name on it. You just want to make it vague or whatever, but just put it so- something that we can sort of get a sense of it. We would love as a church to really press into praying for one another in this particular way. So I want to encourage you to write that, write that one thing down. That we would pray and ask God to bring his kingdom in that part of your life.